Hi everybody, welcome back to We Shouldn't Talk About This. I'm Key. And I'm B. And this is episode 5, We Shouldn't Talk About Burglaries Gone Wrong. Now, have Key, personally, have you ever been victim to a burglary? Yes, actually I have. And it was kind of like a perfect storm of things going wrong. I was moving. I had an ulcer in one of my eyes, so I couldn't wear my contacts. I had to wear like some really old glasses because I didn't wear glasses anymore. So the ones I had were really old and it was raining the day that I moved. And somebody stole either out of my car or, well, it had to have been out of my car because that's the only thing that was like unlocked that I wasn't like, you know, I kept going back and forth, back and forth. My laptop, all my CDs, like all the bags that I had everything in, like in the back seat, it was like every bag that had a handle, like they just grabbed it up and took it. And it was like my electronic stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Did they take your Incubus CDs? Funny story. I did not have any Incubus CDs. Mm, okay, okay. That was not before I started listening to Incubus, which... If all things go well, on May 15th, I'll be attending one of their concerts in Charleston. What, what? But I just did not have the actual CDs. You know, that was like in 2009 where Napster and LimeWire and Kazaa was really popular. So you just downloaded everything and made your own CDs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, For you listeners... um, me being Key's nephew, she actually introduced me to a couple of different bands such as Incubus. And so that's why I brought that up because it's one of our one of one of our faves that we share. Yes. So, you know, with that being said, it was like I said, a perfect storm. I couldn't see out of one eye. I was wearing glasses, I was getting rained on, so my glasses were wet and foggy. Mm. I was moving, so my attention was all over the place. So, yep, that's how they got me. Man, that's terrible. I would really hate to be, you know, robbed, but since I enjoy comedy movies, I think it would be, like, really funny to be the dumb burglar. Like, you know, like <laughs> I'm trying to trying to break into a house, but, you know, I'm tripping over everything. Making like, a lot of noise. Making a lot of noise. Like, I'm allergic to cats, so I'm sneezing and stuff. I'm not actually allergic to cats, but, like, if I was allergic to cats, I'm sneezing, waking up people. And then it's, like, an old lady, and she's, like... Brandon, is that you? <laughs> like, you know, and I just got to pretend like I'm Brandon now. Like, I think, I think that would be hilarious, but I wouldn't actually do that, though. That's that's crazy. I wouldn't want, I want, I want someone to steal from me. Why would I steal from someone else? That's very true. So, we're going to get into this, and for this one, I'm definitely going to give a listener discretion is advised. The cases are... Unlike what we have done, well, no, these are more direct murder related. So we're talking about more serious things. Our, you know, first few episodes were a little lighthearted. It was, you know, crimes against the government, so who cares? <laughs> but, you know, the first the first one, the parachute murders, attempted murder, was was pretty was pretty rough. But these right here are some serious crimes and people did lose their lives in the commission of them and my story has a lot of people on the fence as to who was the victim and who was not Mm. so are you ready b i'm ready Key. all right well gather around children it's time for a tale of crime okay so my story takes place on Thanksgiving Day 2012 and it was around noon and Byron David Smith was sitting in the basement of his home on eight acres of land in Little Falls Minnesota now he was waiting for teens that he claimed had been terrorizing him by repeatedly breaking into his house now he reported the break-ins to the police and once there were multiple break-ins, let me go ahead and make that 
clear. It wasn't just like, you know, someone broke in once and then he flew off the handle. He was burgled multiple times and he actually thought it was some of the uh, teens in his neighborhood that were doing it. So the first thing he did was he installed a security system, which most people would agree that's a reasonable precaution. Yeah, you know, yeah. I would I would do that. Yeah, I definitely feel like having a security system does give you a, a modicum of safety. Mm. Like, you know, nowadays with people having like the ring security doorbells and yeah. things of mm. that nature, it's, it's a lot more of a deterrent. Right. Especially if you can see the camera is out there. But after that, um, he started wearing a holster with a loaded gun inside the house. And he stashed supplies in his basement in case he had to barricade himself down there. Man. So he had a, a bit of a plan, like, you know. But this plan was set in motion on Thanksgiving morning, which was the morning of the killings. After Smith saw a neighbor, the one who he believed was responsible for the prior burglaries, drive by. Now, the prosecutors of the case say that Smith moved his truck to make it look like no one was home. But Smith says he moved his truck because he was cleaning his garage that day. So he like parked his truck down like by the neighbor's house. So it's not like he went and like hid it somewhere he just parked it a couple houses down mm -hmm. so to me that would that would say like if his neighbor was doing it his neighbor would know okay well that's byron's truck down there by the johnson house like uh, maybe he's down there maybe you know um, well, what I'm trying to say is that if it was someone from his neighborhood doing this, I would think they would recognize his truck even if it was down by another neighbor's house. Right, right. So, the prosecutors argued that Smith waited in his basement and intended to kill the teens. Now, the teens that they're saying he intended to kill was 17-year-old Nick Brady and 18-year-old Haley Kiefer. Their cousins, and this was Thanksgiving Day, of course. So, you know, teenagers they were just out and about, probably like right before they were supposed to go have dinner with the rest of the family. Now, Smith claimed he was simply defending himself during the break in, and he was fearful after the previous burglaries because a gun had been reported stolen from his house in one of the burglaries. Now, this Thanksgiving day, the surveillance system recorded images of Brady trying to enter Smith's house. So, like, you can see it. Now, this was a dateline. I'm going to take a little trip down Tangent Lane right here. Mm -hmm. This was a dateline, and... I felt one way after watching the Dateline. Then I heard this case somewhere else and I kind of felt another way. I felt like the Dateline was very heavy leaning in one direction, trying to throw sympathy in one direction. Mm -hmm. So I felt like the Dateline was very one-sided. But like I said, a lot of people are divided on who were the victims in this case. Yeah. So, about 12 minutes passed before Brady was able to enter the house. So, you know, you could see, I saw um, some of the video on the Dateline, and you could see he was, like, testing the windows, testing the doors, like, you know, trying to get in. So, about 12 minutes passed, and Smith, he just continued to sit in silence, waiting for the burglars to reach him. Then Brady descended down the stairs into the basement. Now, what the prosecutor was largely taking as, you know, he, well, they said that he was waiting, like lying in wait. He had set up his security system. He was in the dark, in the basement. 
it took the boy 12 minutes to get in. He could have called the police when he saw the the guy jiggling handles, checking windows. He could have easily called the police and they would have been there within 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But instead, he, you know, had positioned his chair over into the dark. He took the light bulb out of the basement um, fixture and he set up a handheld recorder on the bookshelf, which captured everything. So the audio captured the sound of glass shattering. So obviously Brady, you know, realizing that nothing was unlocked, he busted some glass to get in. Mm -hmm. Then the sounds of Brady shooting or no of Smith shooting Brady three times as he descended the basement stairs. Smith can be heard saying, you're dead on the audio recording. He then put Brady's body on a tarp and dragged him into another room and then sat down, reloaded his weapon, and waited. After about 10 minutes, Kiefer, the girl, Haley, she came downstairs and she was whisper yelling for Nick, who was Brady. So... More shots are heard on the recording. Then Kiefer screams with Smith saying, you're dying. It's soon followed by another shot, which as investigators says, Smith described as a good, clean finishing shot. Do I have an age on Smith? He was in his mid to late 60s. Okay, yeah, because... <clears throat> he sounds sounds like an sounds like an older man with you know saying things like that. But now a total of nine shots were fired at the seventeen-year-old Nick and eighteen-year-old Haley. Now, after what Smith described as the good, clean finishing shot on Kiefer, Smith waited a full day before asking a neighbor to call the police, stating he didn't want to bother them on a holiday. What? Now, that's another thing I'm kind of on the border about because I kind of get what he's saying. (laughs) Like, it was Thanksgiving. He knows that, like, you know, the police are with their families. And he's like, I just didn't want to bother them on Thanksgiving. However, you just shot two people breaking into your house. I'm pretty sure they would have understood. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> that was his reasoning for not calling them until the day after Thanksgiving. That's something, that's something, that's something someone real simple would say. It's like, it was Thanksgiving. They wouldn't bother anyone. <laughs> well, that was his thought, his thought process. Now... Of course, I've already mentioned the prosecutor, so we know that this went to court. Court documents that were not allowed to be shown as evidence showed that Brady had broken into Smith's house and garage before. So Smith was not being paranoid or overly paranoid. Mm -hmm. He just was mistaken as to who was doing it. He thought it was his neighborhood kids, but apparently... Brady and Kiefer were not out of his direct neighborhood, like on his street, but were close enough to have broken into his house before. Brady and Kiefer were also linked to another burglary that day that they were killed. And they had some stolen prescription drugs that were found in the car they were driving. And they were also being investigated for other local burglaries. So... These two kids, teens, were serial burglars Mm -hmm. from the sounds of it. Like petty burglars. Like, you know, they weren't out here stealing, you know, money. But Smith has said, like, they had taken, like, some heirlooms, some some old, like, World War I coins that his dad had had. And, you know, the gun and a chainsaw. Like, you know, they were just taking very random things. 
So maybe they were just you know, prescription drugs because they were found in the car. So, yeah. you know, it sounds like something like stupid teens do. Yeah. Like, you know, the majority of teens are stupid. Yeah. You know, it took me a while to realize that. But yeah, teens are not the smartest eggs in the basket. And I mean that for all teens. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> they just don't make the best decisions. Now, like I said, the evidence that they, or that Brady had broken into his house prior and that the teens were being investigated for other burglaries, including one that happened earlier that day, was excluded by Judge Douglas Anderson. They said He said that the teens history was irrelevant to this particular case. Now, Smith's defense was that he was worried the teens might be armed and that he was defending his life. This in turn gave rise to the debate over the concept of castle doctrine or as maybe more people know, the standard ground law. Yeah. Which says that one can indeed use lethal force to defend their home if they feel their life is in danger. Now, this is where people are really divided. Because I've seen websites dedicated to the teens. Websites dedicated to Byron Smith. Saying that he was defending his property. He'd been burglar multiple times. He had the right to use lethal force because these teens entered his home mm-hmm. with the intent to rob him. The prosecution alleged that Smith's actions showed aspects of premeditation, so the line and wait. And several legal an- analysts who looked over the case said that the initial shootings would most likely have been justified under Minnesota's law. But those shots weren't the problem. So he shot Brady as he came down the stairs. Yeah. The same with Keeper. He shot her as she came down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Now, he shot them a total of nine times. Which is kind of excessive. So had he just shot both of them as they came down the stairs... And those had happened to kill them. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been prosecuted. Right. But the fact that Smith fired execution style on two prone teenagers because they were both down when when he did this mm-hmm. is what renders the debate over Castle Doctrine a bit of a moot point. And they're they're saying especially since he kind of set himself up as bait. He he moved a car so it would look like no one was home. He turned out all the lights. He was sitting yeah. in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had his chair over to the side to where if they came down into the basement, they couldn't see that he was sitting there. Right. So they, being the prosecution and the people who are on the side of the teens, are saying that he basically baited them into being killed mm-hmm. now people on the other side on Smith's side are saying that you know these were reckless teenagers they had no business entering his home and they got what they deserved because they should not have been stealing and burglarizing people's houses right I don't think they got what they deserved I don't think that such a horrible death like the audio is out there if anybody wants to listen to it but you know you can hear Kiefer like screaming and pleading for her life and saying that she's sorry like she didn't even it sounds like she didn't really want to go in but because her cousin was taking so long she went in to see what was going on yeah so, you know, and then he was calling them vermin and saying, like, he got rid of the vermin. And then he was practicing what he was going to say to the lawyers. Like, he recorded all of this on his little handheld recorder. And it all happened, like, in the span of 
11 or 12 minutes. So. It was definitely, <clears throat> it was def, well, it was, yeah, it was, I feel like it was definitely like premeditated. Like I definitely feel like it was, I mean, it was, like Smith knew what he was doing. And like, and like the thing was like, you know, a gun was stolen, so he felt like, you know, his life was in danger. Even so, like, you know, if you, if you surprise someone with a, a gunshot to like the leg or something, it's a good chance they're gonna drop the gun if they're not an expert marksman. You know, mm -hmm. like if you, like if, if, if a kid, if a teenager had a gun and you shot them, they're gonna be distracted by, oh my God, I just got shot. Like what, what the hell, I just got shot. Like they're not gonna be thinking, like you know, marksman accuracy, boom. Like like now nah, I got you. Like you know, it's not it's not. Oh, man. See this this is where it gets hard because taking into account that he had several burglaries. Yeah. And he was kind of scared. Like it's kind of like he kind of whipped himself up into a paranoid frenzy, like over the however much time it, it took you know he got the security system and then he started carrying around a gun inside his house yeah so it's like at that point was it premeditated like no. you know i carry around a gun in my house sometimes but i'm a female who lives alone yeah so you know Man. you just don't but he's a 60 I believe 64 year old man 64 67 he was somewhere in there like against what he thought was teenagers which you know turned out to be true mm -hmm. possibly armed teenagers yeah you know what what is he supposed to do just sit there and well, I say he as soon as he saw them trying to break in it took it took the boy 12 minutes to get in 12 minutes, he yeah. should have called the police as soon as he saw them around his house or he should have gone up and made it known that he was in there and I think that's where they got him like mm -hmm. he really wanted them to believe no one was in there to see if they were going to yeah. come in yeah like you know, honestly like I mean yeah the best action would have been like to let law enforcement take care of it let law yes. enforcement deal with their consequences yes like for him to be to him to play judge jury and executioner like that yes like I can definitely understand the castle doctrine or stand your ground law where right. let's say you're asleep and you hear someone and you, you grab your gun out of the bedside table and you run down and you shoot them. Mm. That's something totally different. Yeah. Or if someone is chasing you and you just happen to be able to run into your house, grab your gun, turn around and shoot them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but I, I definitely feel like now that I have actually read about this case like I, I did lean one way then I led another way now I'm kind of like bleh, 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 bleh. but it, it was definitely his actions of sitting quietly mm -hmm. watching them on the screen trying to get in and not being proactive to either scare them away or let them know that somebody was in fact in there or even just call the police. Okay, sit quietly after you've called the police. I mean, he probably could have just shot a gun at one of the stairs and they would have taken it off running. Gone, yeah. It would have been gone. So it's like, it's, it's one of those things where it's really hard because it's like, okay, I understand you're, you're old guy. You've been in your mind terrorized by these teens that keep breaking into your house and stealing stuff and you just want it to stop and it won't so you're gonna take you know take matters into your own hands but this was like an extreme yeah. extreme way now had he i feel like like you know like the legal analyst said if he had just did the initial shootings and been done with it, called the police. And maybe oh, yeah. even if he, he had the neighbors call the police the next day, but was like, you know, these two injured teens are laying in my basement because they tried to break in yesterday, so. 
I mean, even though it's the basement, I'm surprised the neighbors didn't hear nine gunshots go off. Right. Even well, well it was like a 22. Mm-mm. It w- it wasn't like you know a big forty five or three eighty like you know it wasn't yeah. something loud. Okay, okay. But within three hours, the jury had a verdict, and he was guilty on two counts of each first degree and second degree murder. He's been sentenced to life in prison without parole, but has been trying to appeal that conviction ever since. Thanks, Smith. You could have really, could really went, went a better way about that. You really, you really could have, and I, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, teens are are dumb people because they don't know any better. Yeah, and like you know, like them, them breaking in, breaking in, entering, and stealing, like it's terrible, sure. But let them, let them serve time for that. Don't take their entire lives, you know? Let them learn right. from that. Let them suffer the legal consequences. Because, like, because like th- this right here may have been their only instance where they've gotten punished for it. Like, all the other, right. like, burglaries around the area that they've done, they've gotten away with it. But this one could have been the only one that they, they would have got punished for, but their punishment was literally death. Like, it was an execution. Like, I'm going to let you, like, lay there and bleed a little bit, and then I'm going to kill you. Yeah, it it's, it was pretty rough, and to think if he had called the police and the police had caught the kids, there was evidence of another burglary in the car. I mean, yeah, they so would have they definitely w- had some type of legal consequences. They yeah. would have had to, you know. It wouldn't have been a stop on the wrist. It would no. have been it would have been juvie for for um, Nick, and then it would, could have been like you know, well, it would have been jail time for Heather. Haley. Haley, yeah. You know, it's just a sad story all around because I, I can kind of see it from both sides. Like, yeah. you know, an elderly guy living by himself on mm-hmm. eight acres. Like, that's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. I'm surprised they chose that place. But yeah. but, they, but they probably saw, they probably seen them like get his mail or something like that. They probably saw him and said, oh, it's an easy target. Yeah. Especially if they kept going back or Brady kept going back and, you know, multiple times and never got caught. Mm-hmm. He probably just did see it as an easy target. But that was my story. Dang. I hate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Merry Christmas and happy birthday. <laughs> Both the 25th, by the way, listeners. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so just as Key said, like, you know, this episode is... Been a, been a much darker tone for us. There was a couple of jokes I want to throw in there, but I felt it'd be pretty inappropriate. Just, just you know, out of respect for the, the dead. Um, my case, my case, um, my case has actually been popularized by Netflix. If you are a Netflix subscriber and you've seen the thumbnail for Equal Genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist, then you would know a little bit about this case. This case, um, we're gonna call it the Pizza Bomber case. Uh, the Pizza Bomber case stars Brian Wells. Now, Brian Wells is an older gentleman who worked at Mama Mia's Pizzeria. Mama Mia's. Mama, worked at Mama Mia's Pizzeria in Pennsylvania. And have, have real quick off top, well, not off topic, but off story. Have you ever have you known anyone to work at a pizza restaurant? Uh, like a little pizza Yes, place. I have. Yeah? Yeah. Have uh, they been like a delivery driver also? No. No, no they were just the pizza cook. The pizza cook. Yeah, so so Wells was a delivery driver. And you know, one of one of my one of my favorite comedies is Thirty Minutes or Less. And <laughs> it is a very similar story. Uh he's a pizza delivery guy. He goes to the address to deliver pizza, they kidnap him, strap a bomb to him. This is what happens to Wells. Wasn't that movie kind of based off of this case? You know, I think, it, like, in retrospect, I think it was. Like, at the time of watching the documentary and then re- researching this, I haven't thought about it until just now, actually. But yeah, I, think I think it was. I think it was, like, loosely based on this, because yeah. 30 Minutes or Less is, like, a comedy. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, like you know, it's, it's off of the... Off the moniker, I, I don't know. I don't know what franchise Pizza Place does it, but if three minutes less or it's free or whatever, not but, anymore, cheap bastards. Yeah, really. Like that would be that'd be awesome to get free pizza nowadays. But no, you just get like you know, 
you just get pizza points or whatever to use as coupons. So anyway, um, so anyway, so um, so Wells, forty six years old, um, he gets a call. He 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 gets a call in uh, in all in uh, August, and 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 the call is to go. It's from a payphone, and it's two thousand three. Um, so the call is from a payphone, and it's to go to 8228 Peach Street. And when he gets there, it's actually a television tower site, an abandoned television tower site. And so he gets there, he has two pizzas in hand. Um, he is kidnapped and has a, a makeshift bomb strapped to his neck. Can you describe the bomb? So the bomb, it's a collar bomb. It's very crazy because it reminds me of Saw. Like, it reminds me, like, you know, because it's, it's handmade by just a regular guy. And it is, it has a, it's a collar and it just has, it has, it's metal and it has uh, LED on it and some, I guess, bomb fuses around it. It's very, very, very big and very strange. And, and somehow, I don't know if he was, I don't know if he was already wearing the shirt or not, but they get a t-shirt over him and it's just, it just covers the bomb, but it looks like he has a growth coming out of his collarbone and neck. It just looks like he has a, a huge, like, just, like, shoulders and then, like, a big old, big old neck. Now, before we get any further, I want to say, as popular as this story is, I have heard it multiple times so this is like a little different normally we don't really know about each other's stories mm -hmm. but this story it was so crazy and like B said popularized by Netflix which I haven't watched Evil Genius but there's been so many datelines 48 hours podcast about this like it was hard to not know what it was yeah yeah okay okay so right. listeners won't think I'm just like over here oblivious like no I actually this is one I actually do know about yeah <laughs> all right so um all right so real quick so, so so real quick since since you do know um I'll go ahead and get to like the mastermind of the plan um her name is Marjorie Dow Armstrong and Marjorie she she worked up a scheme in early 2003 she called she called one of her friends Ken Burns and she wanted to rob a bank so that she could raise money to kill her father because she wanted an inheritance and she was expecting to get $250,000 from the bank robbery to pay an assassin to kill her father for his inheritance how much how much money did you think her father had because 250,000 sounds like a good amount in my opinion that's a very convoluted plan like mm -hmm. that plan just really made my head hurt <laughs> yeah um and like you know like, I don't really know I don't well I mean, like she, she obviously knows these people to make bomb, makeshift bombs and everything because, because she was gonna, she was gonna pay an, pay an assassin. I don't know. Again, I don't know how do you how do you get an assassin in two thousand three? Like go to payphone, dial nine star five times. I don't know. <laughs> that was a very specific number. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So her plan was to she said she she called she called Burns and she said we need to rob PNC Bank. So we can get two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so we can get my father killed, so I can get his inheritance. I don't know what was in it for Burns. Maybe it was getting cut, and I don't know why she called Burns. I don't know why she couldn't just do it herself. And so then, and so, and so then a little later on down the line, her boyfriend knew about the plan, and they were going having an argument, and he threatened to reveal the plan, so she kills him. So she kills her current boyfriend, and then she goes to her former fiance, Bill Rose. Rothstein and needs to dispose of the body so they put it in Rothstein's freezer. Now I was with her with killing the boyfriend because A, it, the, the more people who know the more likely it is for somebody to slip and tell. Mm -hmm. But you got rid of one person then brought a whole new person back in. Yep and, and a former fiance of that like someone who was already like I don't know probably, probably be jaded at you for some reason. Right. And so now you're bringing a, now you're bringing an actual deceased person and a scheme to rob a bank to a whole nother person. I wonder what her father did because she's really holding this grudge. Like she really has like the map set for rob a bank, get the money, 
dial nine star 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 from a payphone, mm-hmm. get an assassin, pay the assassin, kill my father, get the money. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> there's lots of st- lots of steps. This is like that game Mousetrap. <laughs> like there's so many steps. Honestly, like honestly, I would just rob the bank and got the money and fled. I don't, I wouldn't want to try to get more money out of it. Like, cause robbing the bank's already one thing. That's already right, like if you can thing. get two hundred fifty thousand from a bank, why do you need the insurance money? Yeah, and like yeah, how much do you think? Yeah, because you have to think that it's in the millions to want that. Cause you're at a quarter million. That's good enough if you're just some rando in in Pennsylvania in two thousand three. Right, just wanting money. Yeah, that's it. All right. So anyway, so anyway, so she pissed. Uh, they, they they put the body of her ex boyfriend in Bill's freezer, mm-hmm. and so now Bill's on board the plane. So Bill used the payphone and called to order the pizza. And and let me see. Let me get into details of how this bomb was created. So I believe that I believe that Ken was on board the first friend she called because he had he was mechanically inclined. Okay. So he was the one who makeshift made this bomb. So she needed him. She needed him. Okay. She needed him to make this bomb. That's another crazy step. We're gonna rob a bank, but we're gonna you can get someone else to do it. We're gonna put a bomb on him and have him rob a bank. So many hands in the pot, like the robber, the person who is storing the dead body of the boyfriend who knew him, threatened to tell on you. Then the guy who made the bomb. Then you. Yeah. I mean, it's so many people. <laughs> So, so, um, so, oh my gosh, let me guess where I'm at. All right, so, uh, so Wells, the pizza delivery guy, goes to the uh, television station. He gets, he gets uh, taken, have the bomb uh, strapped around his neck, and they give him instructions. They tell him that you have to follow the instructions to the T in order to deactivate the bomb. (sighs) This is, this is where it gets rough. So, at about 2.30, Wells immediately, he immediately, this is only an hour after he delivers the pizza, he goes to PNC Bank, and he goes in and gives it to a robbery note. He then, um, and while, and there's footage of him inside the bank, and he is extremely calm. He is literally grinning lollipops, like, you know, chilling. He has a cane gun, but he's just, you know, just uh, bobbing his head to, I guess, the other music playing inside the bank. And he leaves the branch with only $8,702. A far cry from the 250 Marjorie thought she was getting. Yeah, I don't think you're getting a good assassin for that amount. For that amount. No. So then he gets, back, he gets back into his car to start on the scavenger hunt. But as he, but, but as he, as he goes, um, he gets lost. And so he parks at, so, so he gets lost. And so he's going in circles. And state police see him doing like an illegal U-turn. And so they pull him over. He's pulled over by Eyeglass World and McDonald's. And so he's just in the parking lot. They, um, they go up to him. The officer on the Netflix show says, like, you know, I spoke to him. And he, the first thing was like, what is around your neck? Like, like, our, like, yeah, like, what's going on here? What is around your neck? And then, and then Wells kind of, like, beats around the bush with a question. And then he asks him to get out of the car. They cuff him. Like my neck? What are you talking about? Clank, 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 clank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They cuff him, and then Well tells him it's a bomb. So then they immediately um, sit him in front of his car, and they and they get back up. They try to get Bomb Scott out there, and little they know that this that the scavenger the instructions, they don't give him much time at all. So it's so I'm reading the instructions right now. It says drive 60 miles per hour throughout the course. Use only two or three minutes at each stop. A sentry will be watching at each stop to ensure you are not being followed. Bomb has tripwires, forcing a tampering will detonate. All weapons, papers, containers, tapes, etc. must be returned to us. Each item you find after dropping money has a key or combination word you will need to decipher the combination. This will disarm some, some tripwires before you unlock. So... I really don't believe that they had any any ambitions of having him survive. I think they were getting him to take the money to the drop-off point, giving him a scavenger hunt to go in a circle, and eventually have the bomb go off on him. But that would 
be a bad idea because he'd still have the money with him and yet the bomb kills him so therefore he would be noticed like you know someone will notice a, a man driving around and a bomb exploded on him yeah if that was their plan like because they didn't say get the money and come back and we'll take it off no, 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 no. So they give him a time to go to the first drop off, and, but but after that he gets one clue, and then he has two minutes. Well, then he goes to the next stop, has two minutes to get the next clue, then the next stop, then two minutes to get the next clue. So the first stop is to drop off the money. Oh, they were some bastards. They could have mm -hmm. taken it off. Yeah, when yeah. he got back. Yeah, yeah, because like because because just just like the note said, like there there was a there was a white truck. That was that would have been at the first stop. Like they were going to be off in the distance at the first stop. This is also recorded on the mm -hmm. Netflix special um, from one of the police vehicles. There was a white van that was driving through a field and it just kept going because it saw a cop car, and it wasn't. And they knew it wasn't Wells, um, but he. But he only had between the bank robbery, get between getting the money at the bank. And the bomb detonating, it was only a 48-minute period. So he literally had enough time to get to the drop-off, possibly two or three other stops, but the bomb was going off. And there were multiple, multiple stops on the scavenger hunt he had to go through. Okay, so that was their way of making sure he was eliminated no matter what. Yeah. So one less party who knows what's going on. Yeah. And, um... And so as investigators, investigators go through everything. Oh my gosh, I, I actually, I actually didn't, I actually did not write down how they got to Rod, uh, Rothstein because they got Rothstein into custody to, to like interrogate him because Rothstein is the one with the body. Yeah, I know how that happened. Okay, okay. But we're like glossing. Over. We're we're giving you yeah. a high level overview of this case <laughs> because. Rothstein called the police for a reason. And he admitted, he was like, there's a body in my freezer, but it's not mine. I didn't do it. <laughs> so that's how he, like, he specifically said to the police, like, hey, I ain't got nothing to do with this, but I'm going to let you know what's going on. So he, he told about the body. That's how they. That's how they connected that dot to him. Okay, okay, and then from then from there, there was like, there was like a dispute. Well, there wasn't really a dispute, but him still being the former fiance, he got Marjorie's name brought into it, and so then Marjorie got got interrogated. But Marjorie was she was deemed mentally ill, mentally ill, so they kept going in circles with her, of her like just saying the same thing over and over again, not getting anywhere with her. So it's like them. A year and a half, in 2005, they had uh, Marjorie in court to try her for this for this crime because they because they did because like the notes was in was in um, Wells's car, and so they went to every site for the scavenger hunt to to see what was left there and all there was like you know like there were the little clues and like a little uh, the box for the drop off for the first place, but um but after everything after everything though they. 2005, they get Marjorie in court. She pleaded guilty, but mentally ill to third-degree murder and her ex-boyfriend's death and was sentenced to 7 to 20 years in state prison. And then after that, uh, Ken, the one who made the, made the bomb, and Marjorie was indicted in federal court. Indicted? Indicted in federal court. <laughs> and and Rothstein was in unindicted co-conspirator and that was in 2007 and three three years after that in 2010 a trial went on and Marjorie was convicted of armed bank robbery conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery and using destructive device and a crime of violence and Ken uh, testified against her in a plea deal and this is this is like seven this seven years after the robbery. Now, 
I have not like actually looked into and researched this specific case. I'm just going off of what I remember like hearing and watching on the like random things. But you didn't say what happened to Wells. Oh yeah, I did not say what happened to Wells. I'm sorry, 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 sorry listeners. We're, we're backtracking real quick. So Wells was in handcuffs in front of his vehicle sitting on the ground. Wells was extremely calm and compliant to police. And then at around 3.18, his device around his neck started beeping. And as it was beeping, he started shouting out to the officers to get the bomb off of him, get the thing off of him. And then it's captured in video, the bomb explodes around his neck. And he is essentially decapitated. Just in the middle of the parking lot. And and it was... In the, the police say... The bomb squad and the police say it was like one of the most bizarre things they've ever seen. For a device like that to be used on a person. And for it to go off without like any, any tampering or anything like that. So, Wells died um, 40, or around 45 minutes after... He robbed the bank, and that's how that's how the police were able to get in his vehicle and get the uh, instructions for the scavenger hunt, and try to backtrack everything to figure out how this even started in the first place. They they knew um, they knew he was a mom a worker at Mommy's Pizzeria from I think um, the bag in his car, the pizza bag, because mm -hmm. he went to the bank right after he delivered the pizza. So I don't, so I don't, so, so I guess there's a pizza boxes and everything was still in the car because they didn't get pizza, they just kidnapped them. Maybe they did get the pizza. No, that, that would be pretty sucky too. If they got free pizza and they, you know, kidnapped them and stuff. But, you know. And another thing that I recall is that, you know, all the hubbub was going on. So, of course, the media was out there, the news. So his death was like live on the news because mm -hmm. they did not know what was coming or what was happening. And so, you know, people who were watching this, not standoff, but, you know, the police were at, at their distance and Wells mm -hmm. was sitting in front of the car and he was handcuffed and, you know, saying, hey, it's a bomb. You know, I got to do this so I can get it off of me. And then it start beeping and the news was was just rolling, you know, there's the news, they're gonna yeah. roll, and they didn't know that, you know, that was gonna happen, so it was, like, captured on live TV of him dying. And uh, Pennsylvanians just witnessed, like, Pennsylvanians watching the news at the time just witnessed it happen, and uncut yeah. because it was unexpected. Yeah, and the video is still out there. I've seen it, like, multiple times, mm -hmm. and it's, it's strange. Like, he was super calm until it, it started. Really calm going like started beeping I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty convinced i'm pretty convinced that he didn't believe it was like an actual bomb now I think, I, I think i think you know like he was just like i, th I think at the, at the time he was just like you know i just need to get this call off my neck because like, I, can't, I can't live the rest of my life with this thing around my neck so now some people think that he was a part of the plot do you yeah um so so i looked into that also and what i saw was that he had he had ample time to tell someone what was going on to tell them that this was happening but instead he went to the bank to proceed in trying to trying to get a quarter million dollars from the bank so so like i don't i don't i don't think he was a i don't think he was a part of it but but i mean he really should have like told someone he really should have said something but I, but i wouldn't i wouldn't rightfully say he was a part of it now i'm on the other side i think he was a, a co-conspirator because why else would he be so calm I feel like they told him, okay, look, this isn't real, but this is what we're going to say. Like, this is the story. We're going to strap it to you. You say it like some, I believe he said like some black dudes, of course, jumped mm -hmm. him and strapped this bomb to him and said he had to go rob a bank and he could get it off by doing this treasure hunt, mm -hmm. scavenger hunt. And I think he was 100% a part of it. He agreed to it. And he was double-crossed, double-crossed, because he was, of course, not thinking it was going to go off. When it started beeping, he started freaking out, Yeah. 
So I think, you know, like you said, he was really calm. He he even had the gun cane. He was just lolly live, walking in, taking lollipops, not a care in the world. Yeah. He I really feel like like you said, he did not believe that was a real bomb until it started beeping. And then he realized, maybe he realized he had been set up. Maybe he didn't realize he had been set up because he didn't say who, you know, if I was in that predicament and it started beeping and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a real bomb. I'm going to start singing like a canary for however many seconds I have left of life. Yeah, everyone's going down. Everybody's going down. Yeah. So I think think maybe it didn't register that he had been double crossed but I I 100% feel like he was a part of it and that's why he was so nonchalant and calm the whole time until it started beeping and he realized okay maybe this is a real bomb and they just like the police just used up all my time to get it off mm, yeah or maybe the the scavenger hunt was a ruse like for the cops like you know if if you get caught, tell them it's a scavenger hunt and you have to go to all these places. Mm. But really, we're gonna take it off of you. Yeah, and and, we're, and we'll be we'll be out of the state by the time, we'll be out of the state by the time they realize that it's not real that you didn't right. have enough time to get the bomb off because right. because like we're right on here. You have like an hour, you have an hour to like you know go to all the points and get all the clues. But then by the time they get past an hour, they'll say like, okay, that's not. Like, you know, they didn't have enough time, but we would be long gone by then. Right. So, and then there, there was something like he he was, uh, there was a um, prostitute sex worker that he was involved with that was kind of involved with one of the peripheral guys that was involved with Marjorie. Like, that was his connection. Like, yeah. what's, what was his name? Rothstein? Yeah, Rothstein. Yeah, Bill. Like, either Bill knew her and was like, hey, who do you know that could help us out with this? And she was like, I, you know, I have a John that delivers pizzas. Like, there was some kind of connection, like six degrees of separation between them that so, kind of got him into it. So on a, on a final number, how many people do you think knew about this rivalry? 20? Like, <laughs> is Marjorie, because like, 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 like hearing Marjorie speak in the documentary, it sounds like, you know, she just like talks and talks. Well, her her childhood, her teenage friend said that they'd spoke on the phone and Marjorie was just talking and talking and talking. She didn't say a single word. So I feel like Marjorie, like, in English, says, like, yeah, I'm getting quarter million dollars, you know, drop a bank, kill my father. Like, you know, I think she just told people, like, you know, like, it's just normal. It's another day for her. I wonder if her father was really alive. Um, her, her father was alive. He just he oh. just wasn't, like, you know, rich. Like, how oh. she thought she was. Like, how she thought he was. Okay, because, you know... Knowing that she was mentally ill, like maybe she was like making all of that up mm. or like, you know, it was real to her, but he was long gone. That that was one of my, my thoughts. Like, is he even alive for her to be doing all this? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good point. But, um, yeah, that was the, that's the piece of our case. Um, for, for listeners that are really interested in it and getting like a, a bit uh, more in-depth and visual of it, um, the Netflix show, Emo Genius, is, is, a, is a great, is a great, uh, like a season one is a, about the Pizza Bomber. It's a great show to watch and really get in-depth to how insane this entire case was and how, and it's, it's, like, it's really all about, it's really about Marjorie because like she was the mastermind of it, but she was it was also just like going through so many different people and had so many different like you know so many different internal plans like with the with the scavenger hunt and with like you know having her father be killed after she gets money it's um it's, it's it's definitely a watch if you're if you're into into like you know the mind of a murderer mind of a psychopath kind of thing yeah and also you know again there was like i think multiple datelines about this 48 hour mystery like there there have been a lot a lot of shows tons of podcasts have covered this case as well but this was like so many moving parts and we just could not cover it in the time frame that we have on our show mm -hmm. so we just had to give a high level overview of everything but if you really want to get in depth there's lots of information out there yeah lots of footage Lots of 
investigational footage, like of the cops and the interrogations and, and everything. Yeah. There's lots of information about this because it was just so bizarre. Yeah, it's a very strange case. Like, um, to j just like the just to think that. Well, I mean, I mean, it does happen often that you know, um, pizza delivery people get robbed. Right. But it's it's more of like a regular, like you know, here's a gun. Give me the money you have. Give me the pizzas. Leave. Like you know, it's it's one of those things. It's, yeah. It's a very like normal robbery versus like you know getting taken and having your having a collar bomb collar shop on your neck like that's very that's very out there that is that's that's very extreme and that's that's one of the reasons that i personally felt like wells was involved like the marjorie was not like you know a, a 20 year old jujitsu fighter like yeah. none, none of these were like young in shape people yeah, like yeah, yeah. to have held him down and locked a collar around him. Like I'm, I'm very, very convinced that he was a part of it and he got double crossed. Mm -hmm. well, listeners, definitely know, but definitely let us know your thoughts in our comment sections. Yes, please. Of, uh, of, our, of our Instagram post when um, at this episode's live. And as always, please give us a five-star rating if you feel so in your heart. Review us. Thanks for listening. Check us out at WSTAT underscore podcast on all the things, Instagram and Twitter. We do have a Facebook group if you'd like to join and discuss the cases or recommend cases that you think you'd like for us to cover also the we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com email if you want to suggest cases or you know give us your thoughts on what we've covered already yeah so thank you for joining us and listening to what we had to say today well what's your your good feeling moment for this episode my good feeling moment was um was hearing that Smith didn't want to call the cops or his neighbors because it was Thanksgiving and he wouldn't bother him. That was very that was very nice of him. What about yours? Well, I'm, I'm going to go the opposite way and make it not case-related. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my good feeling moment is after this, I'm going ice skating. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, I I, will I actually get on the ice? Probably not. Oh, okay, okay. That's but right. I will be there and enjoy my godchild on her birthday party while freezing my giblets off. <laughs> yeah, that should be great. For real fun. Uh, one of these days, one of these days, I would like to learn how to ice, how to ice skate. You From know, what I remember, it's not difficult. Mm -hmm. But I'm just at the point where if I break a hip, it could go either way. I could either rebound or need a replacement. Like it's, <laughs> it's too too risky at this point in my life. I'm not into sports, but I commend like hockey players for being able to be on skates and push each other. Oh, and they still, are like, ridiculously like, athletic to do that. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like you're you're on blades, running on ice, pushing a dude out the way to and hit a tiny. Is so little. Yeah, like for hand-eye coordination to hit a little black hole in the in the ice. It's, it makes no sense. It's crazy. Yes, I watched a um. I want to say YouTube video where three hockey players try to perform figure skating moves. Like a figure skater was demonstrating moves and three um, hockey players were trying to see if they had the same level of agility. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually pretty good. It was, it was interesting because they're both very difficult sports. Yeah. But like in different ways. Right, right, right. And, like, I didn't know that their, the blades on their skates are made different. Oh, I didn't know that either. Like, ice skaters have, like, an inside and outside blade. Mm. Like, I guess it's, like, kind of beveled to a point. Mm. And hockey players' skates are not made like that. So, they're not used to, like, tilting their feet in and out. Yeah. In order to control what they're doing. And they also don't have, like, the little 
uh, ridges on the front to stop themselves. Like ice skaters have that because, you know, they like dig their point in so that they can spin or they can stop or they can jump mm -hmm. or when they land. But mm -hmm. ice hockey skates don't have that little ridge in the front. So they don't have like the stopper. I didn't know that it was it That's was really crazy. funny it was it was good and the hockey players actually you know they did a good job but you know they're not flexible so yeah. they couldn't lift their legs and, and whatnot but it was actually it was it was interesting to see because you you would think it you know ice skating is ice skating but no right that's cool that's real cool yeah, yeah. well key you enjoy that you enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day then thanks <laughs> <laughs> We say this like we never see each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I guess that's the end of episode five. We are, as I like to say, chugging along like a speed train. <laughs> we are almost in the double digits. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm excited for our next episode. So am I. And I hope that the listeners are excited as well. Yeah. Hope you're on pins and needles waiting with bated breath for our next episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. I'm B. And I'm Key. And we shouldn't talk about this. Shh.